0: Hi, this is presenter Crystal DiNapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. So today we're going to be chatting with Brendan Kennedy. Brendan is a Tati Tati delegate and the Vice Chair of Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations to discuss the recent Future Forums event through Museums Victoria, which was called First Nations for Water Justice. It was a conversation with First Nations voices who are leading solutions for sustainable water resource management. And I'm particularly excited to talk to Brendan about this idea of aqua and um, the need for First Nations uh, water rights. So Brendan, welcome to Indigenuity.
1: Oh hello thanks for having me
0: oh, it's an Thank abs- you. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure i i am uh I've been doing Indigenuity for about a year now and we've been able to speak to a number of different guests about their area of knowledge and I feel like water knowledge has been so neglected so I am so excited to be speaking with you today.
1: yeah, it has been um and and that's not due to you know the fault of first Nations peoples. It's um, due to the colonizers um, locking us First Nations people out of the water um, sector since um yeah, since their arrival of the Europeans.
0: Oh it's yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Um, I've I found it very interesting reading your work and looking into this topic a bit more. Um, I have So I have a number of questions for you. I wanted to start off um, because I hear this sentiment quite often, um, even from some of our past guests, about how local rivers are often considered the lifeblood of country, with these rivers as like the veins that flow, flow through the land. So I was wondering if you could explain to us a bit about what is the importance of water country? Why should we be wanting to protect it?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, you know... First Nations peoples right across the continent, right across the country, across the world actually. But we're so um, we're water we're water cultures really, water based cultures. Peoples around water and um, water really informs you know every part of our lives uh, as First Nations people. But yeah, the rivers are uh, the veins and all the creeks and wetlands are the arteries and um, you know all the lakes and lagoons they're they're all the uh, the organs you know see what you have is the um you have uh, an ancestral being in the landscape and all these waters and uh, streams and creeks and rivers are the veins and arteries that keeps um you know that ancestral being alive for each nation um throughout the whole you know continent, particularly in the mari island basin
0: yeah no it's i've I've heard of a lot of uh, harm that's been done to a lot of a lot of the river systems that flow over. I heard We had a Barkenje guest on some I recently in the last couple of months who spoke about the um the stress that the Barker has faced. i I wanted to ask this i've so I've read some of your work and one of the terms that stood out to me. and to give some context from some of my interests, I know that we are familiar with the term of Terranelius and the overturning of that as a fiction and uh, in my work i focus on indigenous astronomy and also indigenous sky rights so looking at this idea of sphera nullius so looking at outer space oh, wow. and and so you've spoken about aquanelius and so i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about what does this term mean
1: yeah well it's you know that terra nullius you know that that existed for so long and it got overturned you know with the mabo decision and but this aquanelius is um, it's where the uh the Europeans come here and when they first arrived they took up the the river frontages, you know, where the water was, round the lakes, round the rivers and they that's where they took up settlement, um, squatted. And of course that caused a lot of conflict, um, because that's where all of our people were and and still are today, but that's where, you know, the real um you know, the real brunt of uh colonization dispossession um, and, of course, aqua nullius, it's continued. It's where total denial of, well, this water, it belongs to no one, so we just take it. And I'm, and I'm talking about the um, the Western um, governments, no, settler state governments. We just take this water, we'll just sell it, we'll harvest it, we'll regulate it, we'll manage it, we'll deprive it and, and control it. And so, basically, all of our waterways have, have been turned into... Uh, irrigation channels, storage. And so that's totally against uh, everything that we as First Nations peoples, um, how we view, see, understand um, and care for water. So this is a very serious issue. Certainly um, when we talk about water, our people have never, ever ceded our water rights. and And so it's a real... Um, it's the same as really as terra and Alice, where land belongs to no one. Well, this is what the settler states believe that well, water doesn't belong to the First Nations people or the environment, so um, they just take it and and um, derive you know economic power from it. Yeah,
0: and. And you mentioned as well, so a lot of our rivers have been turned into, you said, like irrigation resources. what Do you know what impact that that's then having on the environments that would usually rely on that water being able to flow as it naturally would, as it has for thousands of years prior to this recent um, uh, destruction, I guess?
1: Yeah, well, it basically kills it kills the ecosystem, it kills our cultural landscape. Um, our cultural environment—it kills our culture, it kills our spirit, it kills the spirit of the country, and it kills the spirit of the ancestral beings. That is the waterways and the spirits that um, reside, and that's what we we rely on. It kills our spirit, our physical and and spiritual health as well by killing the waterways. It deprives the water, it deprives the the landscape, the floodplains, the wetlands, the lagoons, the creeks, all of those you know, important um, spiritual and ecological places, cultural places, deprives them, kills off those sites, kills off all the species and and basically just uh, restricts all the water into the, the river channels and they have locks and regulators. And, um, yeah, so it's a... It's it's killing the very environment that we as humans really rely on to survive.
0: And what what would be the ideal path forward? Like, how do we respond to the destruction that this concept of nullius has had? Particularly the way that it's influenced a lot of those people who are in de- decision making positions um, to be able to affect the environment in such a way. What's what's the the solution to over? I guess like overturning nullius?
1: Yes, overturning it. There'll have to be some type of legal case, um, court decisions that will need to be prosecuted and determined at some stage eventually. The other thing too is to uh, afford and give the waters and the rivers the recognition that they so always have had for First Nations people. but. Europeans do not recognise our rivers and waterways as living beings, living entities. So that's another thing to the recognition of the rivers and waterways as living entities. And then the third thing is, well, First Nations peoples are the experts of this landscape. So um, reinstate the First Nations peoples as the first and foremost uh, knowledge holders and people with the understanding and expertise to be able to make decisions around the health of of water and and, and the river rivers systems.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds great. I uh, so what what is the current sort of state? So we know that for obviously for thousands of years, Aboriginal knowledge holders have carefully maintained these water sources. That um, there is. A respect for country and an acknowledgement of country as this breathing, like living entity that requires care and also suf- that we suffer when it suffers. H- how much of a voice does community currently have over their waterways?
1: Very little. Very Next little. to nothing. Next to nothing. And that reflects in First Nations water ownership. Um, our First Nations water ownership is at 0.1%. Wow. 0.1% uh water ownership, so you could say our, our voice in the space it, it would be about the same um, next to zero, so that's the real um, the real disgraceful and real poor uh, status of the situation uh, in this country
0: that's at the moment. yeah that's very horrifying um it is. It, exp- it explains a lot as well about a lot of those. I guess like those ecological impacts that we're seeing. I know that there's been issues over the years of so many um, water dwelling animals, fish, and that uh, turning up, unfortunately, dead in vast numbers, um, in it, just locally, just in our own, just in our own state. So it, it is pretty horrifying to have such a little say on something that we've carefully managed for a very long time. And yeah,
1: then from, and yeah. Oh, sorry. Also, in Australia, Australia is sits at number two in the world in regards to species loss species extinction oh that's horrible so uh, second to indonesia but the difference is indonesia's had hundreds of years head start <laughs> on australia so really australia should be should be number is number 1 in my book um, and that's the way uh due to the way that uh the environment and the waterways are, are mal mistreated and maladministrated and mal and um, neglected.
0: Oh, that's absolutely horrifying. It it does remind me of a lot of conversations I've had with different areas of, um, looking at er- different areas of country, so looking at land management and also things that I've discussed talking about like light pollution and the fact that it can be quite fatal for our animals. It does seem to be a common theme that we are leading, we are leading uh, a species extinction, which is just really distressing, honestly, the the rate... It's not, it's not a title that we, we, we would want to have.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and around about the 1860s, when the fish species was um, recorded, there was, I think there was over 30 fish species within the Murray River itself. I think we're way down to about less than a dozen. So in, in yeah, what's that, 180 years, I think, uh, lost probably about 20 to 30 fish species alone. So let alone all the other species that rely
0: on water. Yeah, exactly, because it, it definitely does. It has a greater impact than just those who are in the water. All of us, all of us rely on these waterways. Um, what is there, especially when like talking about, I don't know if this is out of like sort of the area of um, what you've been looking at, but when it comes to a lot of our animals that are suffering in with this current state of waters, is it a case of trying to save what's left or is there any way that we can try and maybe... Um, I guess, bring back species which have probably been driven from these places if we just manage them better?
1: Well, I think the Europeans don't realise the extent of all the species. And a lot of species um, would, in fact, sort of go dormant. So, and and relying, looking at First Nations, uh, traditional ecological knowledges and traditional sciences to understand what we know, Um, and to put our sciences at the forefront. And so at the moment, that's always been, well, the Western uh, colonisers will will say, well, the best available science is what we go by, and that is their science. Well, I say, no, you're totally discounting First Nations knowledges. So reinstate First Nations knowledges into... uh, the environmental and and managing of country and decision making and resources to be able to support First Nations to um, help save uh, what's really really intact.
0: Absolutely, I, I love that point that you've touched on because it, it's something as well that I reflect on often too, particularly as an Aboriginal woman in like academia or science. Um, The idea that science tends to think that they have this objective viewpoint that has been crafted without any type of bias, when inherently there is a cultural bias behind science. It has come from a particular place in the world with a particular perspective, and it does disregard indigenous ways of knowing, which... um, I really, especially this continent, and especially with these um, extra pressures from climate change, I feel like we are really, really needing to um, to connect with and to let indigenous voices lead in the areas in which they're knowledgeable.
1: 100 percent! In in now in climate change, First Nations sciences are are vital, and we're being turned to in the area of culture, of fire yeah. management. Cultural fire, cultural burning, is now being brought to the forefront, and it's just the, the water um, because fire is not worth money, <laughs> whereas water is, um, and the control over the water resources and the, and the amount of um, economic um, power and resources that are derived from water um, is is a massive problem, and it's 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 the main barrier um, that. That's preventing First Nations people from being instated as decision makers around water.
0: Wow, I'd never considered that financial gain aspect of water versus, for example, fire management um, and the ways that that could impact. That's so interesting. So,
1: yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And you'll find that. So now there's a lot of progress being made for First Nations people in Australia across the, across the whole country in in the area of fire, um, because it you know it. It equals loss of um, public uh, lands and assets and resources. Um, so this is duty of care. But when it comes to water, <laughs> it's totally different because it comes out of the sky and down from the mountains every year. So it comes around and around every year. They know the water's coming back next year. So and it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, wow. um, To the country. So um, hence that's why we we are locked out. Um, of, of the sector.
0: Well, I, I want to ask about something that I found very interesting. So you wrote a really excellent piece for the conversation, which was called Terranalius has been overturned. Now we must reverse Aquinalius and return water rights to First Nations people, in which you said there have been several gigalitres of water that have been returned to some traditional owner groups. And I was wondering in what way can water be returned? And has this had a beneficial impact?
1: I think firstly the environmental water should be should be hand straight over to first Nations and be given and be called cultural water cultural flows cultural water so I think that's a start uh, in the environmental water space and they have a lot of water and a lot of resources a lot of monetary resources the other thing too is around the systems are over allocated um, and I really question the way that the water allocation within the basin is being calculated and how it's been managed and how they account for all the water within the system. So are they over-allocating, under-allocating? Um, how are they you know, coming to these decisions? We are locked out of um, you know, that space in terms of determining. Um, and of course, you know, how do we as First Nations people, how we measure water? It's you know in the Western the colon- settler state colonisers they say gigalitres megalitres, um, so mm. they haven't even considered how First Nations people how we measure water um, on country in terms of volumes.
0: So is this like a matter of like them genuinely just releasing amounts of water that they think are fair enough to distribute back? Because it's such a curious concept for me.
1: Yeah, there's there's. The dams uh, that they have, the storage dams, that they hold the water in, prevent it, and then they have the the weirs system um, that regulates uh, the flow. They can slow the flow right down. And then there's also the water grid through. So the same as what you see where you have your roads right across the state, then you've got all these water grids, all these water pipes. Lines that traverse across a state and an area. So, and water is also held underground in those those pipes as well. So, um, but yeah, back to Terra Nullis and Aqua Nullis, Nullis um, it's really about uh, making water available for First Nations people, water rights, um, instating water rights and ownerships. For First Nations people, for us to be able to own water um, and have a significant say in the water uh, sector.
0: And is there anything that um, say is there like I'm very curious about that path sort of forward? Is there anything that we could do to help support the fight for First Nations water rights? Is there a clear avenue forward, or is this sort of sort of feeling around in the dark, trying to find a solution to a problem that you didn't cause?
1: Uh, exactly. Uh, well, there are water ministers <laughs> for each state and, and, um, and advisers. And there's also a federal water minister and advisors. So these people, these are the decision makers and um, the departments uh, pretty much follow um, what they say. Certainly, I've been calling for senior traditional owner water advisors for each state oh. um, and the Commonwealth. So that because at the moment we have uh, non-Indigenous people advising on behalf of uh, the First Nations peoples or any given state or territory and the Commonwealth as well. So um, there is a hierarchy in place um, and we are way that far down the bottom of the hierarchical uh, ladder that it's not funny. And um, certainly there were a few, four years ago, there was $40 million in the Commonwealth was allocated for First Nations people in the basin to acquire water. Mm-hmm. Um, four years later, we have not had a red cent oh, wow. um, handed to any First Nations people to buy water. So they're continuing to lock us out of the, out of the space.
0: Oh, what a nightmare. Sorry, I know it it's, it's yeah it's one of those topics that it's so interesting but it's it's hard to have a positive spin on it at the moment right because it is it's just something that's quite heavy it's causing a lot of um oh a lot of pain it's for the country for it, people
1: it really is that bad the situation is is really that bad and so all what we do as First Nations people we just continue to amplify the voice amplify amplify the the injustice. Um, and we are the voice for our, our rivers and waterways and lakes and lagoons. We, the First Nation people, are the voices. So um, that's that is our um, that's what drives us, you know, to continue to be a voice um, for our country and our and, and our water.
0: And I guess that was um, that was really in the spirit of the, recent of the recent Future Forums event that you did with Museums Victoria, which was First Nations for Water Justice. You spoke alongside um, a senior elder and chairperson and founder of the Boomerang Foundation, Nawi, Carolyn Briggs, as well as Professor of Law at the University of Otago, um, which is Jacinta Ruru. So for those of us who weren't there, would you be able to uh, give us some insight into what happened at the forum and whether there are any sort of calls to action?
1: Yeah, there were calls to action. There were certainly a lot of people there who had come to certainly uh, take down notes and take back to their groups what we were saying. Certainly it was a very powerful forum and the speakers were quite significant and powerful and, and, you know, strong leaders uh, in the water space. Jacinta over New South Wales, her expertise in the legal framework, um, particularly over there in, in New Zealand and uh, the Whanganui River. And, of course, myself and only Carolyn, uh, we um, being both Murray River people and Murray Island Basin people as well. So, yeah, we were able to... I think it was a great opportunity to be able to speak to you know, a wide audience um, and there were some very, very powerful and important questions that were posed to the panel. And I think we really delivered, you know, a real context around our ancient history and our rights over many millennium um, towards for water and, of course, you know, the story of uh, colonisation, invasion, um, where the Europeans come here and, and, and immediately took up uh, river frontage and, and control over the water resources in this country. So it was a very powerful. Powerful night. That's something I certainly consider as a highlight, and a continue a great opportunity to continue to amplify, and continue to be a voice, a loud and strong voice for um, our our, our uh, ancient and spiritual water.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm I am so grateful for uh, leaders like yourself, especially working in this space. It is one of those things that if people but, you know, non-Indigenous people in Australia don't know what is happening, why it's problematic. Um, they can go pretty blind, blindly without being aware of a lot of the issues the country is facing. And so I think the work that you're all doing is really important and I appreciate... Yeah, I'm really grateful for your labour in this space.
1: Um, oh, no worries. Thank you. I, I actually will not stop <laughs> fighting in this space. Uh, I will never, ever stop this... Um, uh, you know this wrong um, and injustice that has been, has continues to happen, um, in regards to water, and the depriving of First Nations people um, rights to our water, and the average citizen is, has no idea what's going on. It's the best kept secret, <laughs> the best kept secret in this country's history, one of the best kept secrets, and it's ongoing.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely see it. It's it's an area that I know so little of as well, which I'm I'm so aware of that. I I want to ask you like one last sort of uh, question before you leave because I you've mentioned you've touched on it today, and it's something that I actually I'm, it's a term I'm very new to, which is this idea of cultural flows. And so I was wondering if you could explain to us what are cultural flows? What is what is the yes. significance?
1: Well, cultural flows. What it means cultural flows to your country will be different to cultural flows to my country. Mm-hmm. And so that'll vary for different water sites within your country and definitely mine and all the, all the nation's um, watering sites. But cultural flows is water water that is owned um, by the First Nations people. It is of an of a adequate quality and quantity that meets the social, spiritual, cultural and economic needs of that First Nation's. So it's totally different to, and and the governments, uh, the mainstream, the Western settler states are trying to draw a parallels between cultural flows and environmental flows. Well, no, uh, sorry, not going to happen. Cultural flows, environmental flows, is nothing, nothing like cultural flows. Environmental flows is water that's just been delivered and pumped and regulated and managed and controlled by uh, the Europeans. The states and the Commonwealth. Uh, cultural flows um, is delivered. It has first of all has a cultural lens of that First Nations people for that particular wetland or water waterway site, and it is it is healthy water, and it is delivered by the First Nations people themselves in accordance with the First Nations um, objectives um, and the wishes and expertise. Yep. So that that's a little bit about cultural flows.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for the insight with that. And really, genuinely, thank you so much for your work, for your writing as well. It's, it's, I've already learned so much just in preparing for this interview. And I know that the more you speak and the more people that you connect with, um, that this will be our path towards change. So uh, I wish you all Absolutely. the best with this fight.
1: Oh, thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak on your show.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks, Brendan. All right. So thank we- you.
1: Bye for now.
0: Bye. So I've just been chatting with Brendan Kennedy, who's a Tardy Tardy Delegate and the Vice Chair of Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations, discussing this idea of Aquanelius the current state of water country, um, And uh, essentially the complete loss, uh, the complete lack of voice and control that Indigenous people have over their waterways. It's having severe environmental consequences. And this is hopefully a space in which we will see uh, a bit more development in the way that we've seen a bit more development regarding land rights and the overturning of terra nullius. I wish Brendan and that all of the best of luck uh, with their work. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity. A weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.